Hello, everyone. I get a little too into it. I, that is the song, honestly, like when Eric, producer Eric, when he played a bunch of music for me, I was like, I need something upbeat. I played Groove is in the Heart from the 90s. Old people like me, you'll know it. And I was like, this is the model, Eric. And the second he played that, I was like, oh, yeah. Everyone in the room was like, really, Jen? Is that? Yes. Yes. I grew up in Staten Island in the 90s. Need I say more? Do I have any Staten Island, Brooklyn people out there in the audience? You're my favorites. Just so you know, have to say it. So before we started and before we get into what's going to be a great breakdown today, I'm going to talk about some woke madness and how Florida and DeSantis are coming out. DeSantis said uh, this past week, Florida is the place where woke goes to die. We're going to dig into that. We're going to talk about whether Joe Biden is fit to be president. We've got some video to show you. I would love to get your take. To me, looks like not so much. We will compare Democrat cities on fire and empty to thriving Republican cities throughout the country. And last but certainly not least, I am going to be weighing in on Andrew Tate, the fact that he has been banned on social. And I'm going to tell you why I think that's a bad idea, even though I disagree with him on some things. And we're going to dig into that a little bit, too. I'm going to tell you why banning him is not the way to go and should not be the way to go at this point. So we're going to dig into all that. But before all of that, before the show started, Tyler and I were talking because we have a really fascinating guest on Wednesday. Uh, we have a priest, Father Lampert, who performs exorcisms. Okay, now I love horror films. I spent my whole life, my entire life, watching horror films. I, my husband did not, so he gets a little creeped out, which of course, people who like horror know if there's someone in your life that gets creeped out, that's the exact person you want to show the horror film to. Am I wrong? Is it not amazing to watch them shudder in fear? I, I think it is. And Tyler asked me if I would go to a haunted house where they make you sign a waiver. And I said, yeah, why not? <laughs> then we read the fine print and it's like, you may die. So I don't know. I have to think about that. I have a small child, but I do love to be scared. We, we have um, Father Lampert on on Wednesday. I cannot wait to ask him. So if you have questions, if you're fascinated by exorcism, if you're into religion, if you're into demons, if you watch The Exorcist and you love it and you want to know if it's really like it is in the movies, we're going to get all of that answered and more. I can't wait. I know my parents at home are like, yes. We're all like into the horror, so we cannot wait to have a conversation. I also went to Catholic school for 12 years, so we talked about exorcism a lot. So I have a lot, a lot to dig up to ask Father Lampert. So we're going to do that on Wednesday. But today we want to start with some woke madness. I was looking for some topics this week. I, what I like to do is to see if the woke propaganda has escalated week to week. We all know this slippery slope sometimes starts off a little slow, and then all of a sudden it's like everybody's just sliding down. So I look to see if there's anything new when we talk about gender identity debate. Like, are they going younger? Are we now talking about, you know, four-year-olds, three-year-olds? How aggressive is it getting in the medical communities? Are they hopping on board even more? And I like to see what governors are doing to step up to this because there are some states. I don't know where I'm going to ultimately land. I'm in Florida now. But I look at Tennessee and I look at Texas and I like to see what governors of those states are doing, if anything. The person that always comes up as being loud on this issue and not taking a bunch of bull from the propagandists is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. So I see from WFLA News, Florida is the place where woke goes to die. That intrigued me. I'm sure it's intriguing you at home as well. So what did he have to say? Well, Governor DeSantis visited the Pasco County 
That apparently is in West Central Florida this past week. And he was talking about teacher recruitment in particular, but he, he branched out into a whole bunch of topics related to schools. Here's some quotes from what he said. Our mantra has been in our schools to educate kids, not indoctrinate kids. I know that will resonate with a lot of people at home. That's what a lot of people have been craving in their children's schools. Educate, don't indoctrinate. If you read further in that article that um, Tyler has up for you on the screen right now, he says, if you look at what's happening in our society, you see institutions being infected with ideology at the expense of facts and reality. We're fighting this thing with the medical board because they want to do sex change operations for minors. A 14-year-old cannot get a tattoo, but they're talking they will do mastectomies and things at the bottom, meaning bottom half of the body, which are very problematic and irreversible. These are kids going through a growing time in their life. There's a lot of different factors. Most of the dysphoria resolves itself by the time they become adults, so why would you disfigure a minor? He's not shy on this, people. He's really not. He's not afraid. He's speaking out. He's speaking out on behalf of a lot of parents who are concerned. And this crosses party lines. I'll tell you again, this is not just Republicans upset. These are people, sane people everywhere who are saying, why are you going after the kids? Why so young? This seems sinister. What's happening? He also weighed in on COVID. He had to get, get that in there as well, which I thought was fantastic. He referenced the mitigation policies such as masking and school closures. Why? Well, because it's a theme, right? It's a theme of not relying on facts, instead relying on fiction, and as a result of your fiction, you, you know, policies infiltrate that are problematic, particularly for young people, particularly for minors. You saw with the masking in schools, you saw with the COVID vaccine. I mean, it was insane what was put onto society. So he, he follows up on that, and he says it was not grounded in data. It was not grounded in evidence. They lied to us about the shots. They said, if you take it, you will not get COVID. That is false. He weighs in on the shots. Again, you know he's not been a stranger to controversy when it comes to fighting the mandates, when it came to fighting the masks and all of that stuff. And his Surgeon General, as we've covered on the show, came out repeatedly and said, we're willing to follow the science. That stuff over there, that's not science. Those are political talking points, and we're not going to allow political talking points to dictate what's going on in schools that could be hazardous and dangerous to children, i.e. the masking, i.e. the forced vaccination of an experimental vaccine. At the end, he gets into classrooms, and he says, obviously in the classroom, we've battled a lot of ideologies. What I've said is the state of Florida is the place where woke goes to die. We're not going to let this state descend into some type of woke dumpster fire. I love it. We're going to be following common sense. We're going to be following facts. So, you know, it's amazing to me that you look out at what's happened in these last two years. Why is it just one governor? Why? I mean, are they all, I, I can't decide if they're just useless, a lot of these Republican governors out there. Are they afraid in some way? Do they have some sort of big pharma tie that they're afraid to open their mouths? Why is there so much silence from governors all over the country? Even those who are, in, you know, dictating policy, like, for example, they're standing up to mandates, they're standing up to, they're doing it very, very quietly, as if they don't want to ruffle any feathers. This guy, I don't care, you love him, you hate him, he's not afraid to ruffle feathers. And the reason a lot of people are talking about DeSantis when it comes to a presidential run is because of that, is because he sticks to policy, he takes media questions, and he says, yeah, sure, I'll answer you, I don't care. He gives a straight answer. He gives a bold answer. And he backs that up with politically, policy-wise, what he's been doing in his state. So I love it. I love seeing it. Um, on that topic, though, of, okay, it's great that Florida is battling a lot of what's happening. Where is everyone else? What, what is happening in terms of the escalation 
in these conversations of woke propaganda and woke ideology infiltrating schools and infiltrating youth. Well, I thought this was interesting. I saw um, New York Post had an article out, transgender student Grant Sykes, I don't know if I'm saying that last name right or wrong, I apologize, Grant, if I'm saying it wrong, rejected from every University of Alabama sorority. Here's some of the article. A transgender woman was rejected by all University of Alabama sororities during their student recruitment process, according to social media posts from the student. Grant Sykes wrote on Instagram that she was denied entry to all of the sororities on campus. There are nearly 20 campus chapters. There's a long quote there and a video uh, on TikTok. I'm hopeful of a future where everyone is welcome for just being themselves everywhere. Sykes continued, if you're going through a hard time today, remember that life's too short to ponder the things lost. And in a TikTok, Sykes said, I'm sad because I wanted to be part of a sisterhood. Interesting. And more than that, a community. Now, if you listen to the video, can we play a little bit of that video right there, Tyler? Hi, guys. It's Grant. Today was prep round. And I got a phone call this morning and I was cut. It is extremely upsetting and I'm sad because I wanted to be a part of a sisterhood and more than that, a community. And, you know, it's kind of just, I keep on waiting for my Rokai to call me and be like, just kidding. You could bring it on to bed day tomorrow because tomorrow's bed day. Okay. I don't even know what to say. So I watched this. I also read a bunch of content. I personally do feel that this individual is being sincere about what she wants. I'm going to say she, that's her preferred pronoun, whatever. This individual wants to be part of a sister. I believe that's a sincere emotion saying I want to be part of a sisterhood. But the reality is that not every sorority is going to want this, right? These are supposed to be unions of women, women. And there's not there's a lot of women that aren't going to be comfortable in that scenario where suddenly there's supposed to be about solidarity of women and you have a biological male that enters the scene. You're going to have a lot of parents that aren't going to be comfortable knowing how these sororities interact, how they live all in the same houses, oftentimes how they're housed. They're very close. They're out. You know, there's sometimes drinking involved, even when it's not supposed to be. You know what the sorority scene looks like. I wasn't part of it, but many of you out there do know. And there will be individuals Um, parents, students who aren't comfortable with this dynamic. Now, there are a lot of sororities, I did some research and I did some digging, that do allow for trans and non-binary individuals. So if you were trans and non-binary and wanted to be in a sorority, if you were a biological male who now identified as a woman, you could seek out those particular sororities. I don't know if those exist at the University of Alabama. I'm to assume they don't because I'm pretty sure Grant would have gone that route otherwise. But they do exist. And there is going to be increasing pressure on these organizations to be all-inclusive. Now, what will that do to the population of students? I don't know. I think there will be some students that choose not to join a sorority as a result of that. I'm pretty sure there's going to be some parents that say, I don't want you doing that as a result of that because of concerns. You have to just look at this objectively and not emotionally. You have to look at it and say, these rejections are not personal. They're not making a decision that they don't like Grant. It's not about Grant. They're making a decision that you have uh, an organization that caters to women, biological women. There's a lot of closeness. There's a lot of shared spaces that goes on there. And it's not appropriate, in their opinion, for a biological male to be part of those spaces. So this can't become an emotional argument. And I think everyone needs to step outside of their box and just look at this and say, okay, I could see why a parent, a student, would potentially have a problem with this and not want to be part of an organization that had this fluidity of thought. 
What's interesting is that Sykes is not the first transgender student to be rejected from Greek life. I don't know if you heard the story, but this um, Adam Davies uh, was rejected from all 12 sororities at Northwestern University. That story in particular is very interesting to me because Adam was born a female, but identified as a male and wanted to join a sorority. So I'm thinking, what's going on there? <laughs> Why? If you're born a female and now identifying as a male, which leads me to believe that you want to be treated as a male, why do you want to be in a female sorority? I don't know. There's just all sorts of confusion. I read a few articles and Adam was saying, well, it's more complex than that. I, I mean, at what point does it just become, does nothing mean anything and everyone just wants to be part of anything? And now it's like, what, 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 what boundaries are people trying to push here is my question. People talk to me when I talk about this about Title uh, Nine. Uh, that was brought to my attention a few times. Title IX prohibits sex discrimination in education. Title IX does not affect sororities and fraternities. The federal government has made it so that sororities and fraternities can make their own rules when it comes to this stuff. So it's up to them. Now, do you think there's going to be a slippery slope here? A hundred percent. This is not going to last very long. These organizations will be labeled as bigoted. Um, they will be labeled... I already saw on Grant's page, I went to Grant's Instagram and saw a number of people with blue check marks who were saying, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing what's right. People will come around too bad. I saw all the comments and I understand, again, watching this video, I can say this is someone who I do believe is sincere. I don't think was ill-intentioned. I don't think based on what I see today is looking to cause trouble or damage in any way, but just step inside the shoes of those biological females in that organization. You know, step inside the lives of those females who play on sports teams. Step inside the lives of women who have to exist in those locker rooms with biological men. And even though you may not be, maybe you're out there and you don't intend to harm, fine. What if somebody does? What if it's just awkward, that dynamic? What if it prevents women from wanting to be involved in sports? Or what if it just becomes an unsafe feeling space because it's odd, right? It is odd. Why were you separated always into the boys and the girls? Because it's odd to have it intermixed when people are taking clothes off. You catch a glimpse of this. You catch a glimpse. You know how it goes. So people are uncomfortable. Hear why they're uncomfortable. Listen and be able to have that conversation with them in the same way that it's expected that we have the conversation with people who are trans who want access to these communities. I do think there's going to be increased pressure. I think it's going to be forced um, by public pressure soon. And I think you're going to have very few sororities and fraternities that don't cave to this, you know, within a very short period of time. Um, I've extended an offer to Grant, just so you know, to come on the show and talk to me. I would love to have a conversation about this with someone who feels a little bit differently. And we'll see if Grant's willing to come on. All right. Um, when it comes to the surgeries, when it comes to children, this is an area where I feel very strongly and I'm very strongly opposed to what's going on in this arena and what's being done in the medical community, as I've mentioned here before. I just want to show you, though, more and more articles are popping up that talk about very, very small children. Very, very small. So we went from a conversation about adults to teenagers to young kids, and now you're seeing ages two and three mentioned repeatedly. I did a search yesterday. I mean, it's just all over the place. Daily Mail, Fury as Yale School of Medicine. Okay, these are not unheard of hospitals. This is not, these are, these are big organizations, big institutions with a lot of um, name recognition at this point. Yale School of Medicine professor brags about helping kids as young as three on gender journey. 
What gender journey does a three-year-old have? What gender journey does that three-year-old have? You might be asking yourself, why? Because you're a sane person. None. A three-year-old does not have a gender journey. Okay? Christy Olazeski is the director and co-founder of Yale Pediatric Gender Program. In a YouTube video, which has since been taken down, important to note, since been taken down, she explains how she runs a program that helps children from the age of three years old with their gender journey. Crazy. The idea of children who are barely out of wearing diapers making a decision to change genders was met with outrage on social media. You don't say. What a shocking thing. I'm telling you, it's crossing party lines. You're going to have Democrats. You're going to have Republicans. You're going to have conservatives. You're going to have liberals. You are going to have people draw the line somewhere, and that line is going to be at three-year-olds. Sane people. Not everyone. This will distinguish the sane from the crazy. It will. But there will be a lot of sane people who have something to say about this because they have three-year-olds. They have three-year-olds, and they're like, come on. You've got to be kidding me. She says, this is from the Daily Mail, I'm the director of the Yale Gender Program, which is interdisciplinary, working with gender-expansive individuals ages 3 to 25, a gender-expansive three-year-old. Really, you need to think about, you really need to think about what they're saying. The program website details how transgender surgeries are only available to those 18 and older. This is the new talking point, right, though? You need to be aware. This is the new line. Oh, no. We're only talking about surgeries for 18 and up. We have seen, though, some institutions said 17, and then they, you know, autocorrect and revise, and suddenly now it says 18 due to public backlash. But what about the um, hormones? What about the puberty blockers? What about the other big pharma interventions? Well, that's happening a lot younger. They won't, they won't comment on that. Can't imagine why. If you go to the second page of this article or scroll down, it says people, people were outraged as I've said they would be. And here's some of the comments. Kids' memories are just starting to work at three. Kids think they're dinosaurs or a dog. There is no gender journey at three. This is child abuse. This is from the Hodge Twins comedy duo. I really want Christy Olazeski to tell me how a three-year-old can have a gender identity crisis. Kids that young have no clue or even think about when's the last time you heard a three-year-old say, I'm a girl but feel like a boy or whatever. Well, Pat Gorgia. So people everywhere are like, come on. Because they know. I mean, like I said, my son always says, I'm a monkey, I'm this, that. Can you imagine if my son came to me and said, I'm a monkey, and I decided to feed him just bananas, create a monkey-friendly diet, and allow him to behave as a monkey, and then bring him to playgroups and introduce him as a monkey? I mean, this is where it's going. Oh, Jed, you talk too much about the slippery slope, you crazy woman. Interesting. Let's, let's get on that slip and slide just for a moment, shall we? Who wants to join me? You know, those little blankets that they used to give you to go even faster down the slide. Come on for a ride because, check this out, Daily Mail also, phenomenally bright teen at Melbourne Private School, it's Australia, claims she now identifies as a cat. No joke. As it's revealed why everyone is being supportive. So when I talk to you about the slippery slope, I'm not making it up. It happens. It's real. Here it is. A teenage girl now reportedly identifies as a cat. No one seems to have a protocol for students identifying as animals, but the approach has been that if it doesn't disrupt the school, everyone is being supportive. Can you imagine what was just said? This was a source close to the family. If it doesn't disrupt, in other words, if a kid goes into that school, they're so worried about being criticized for not being woke enough, that if your kid went to this school and said, oh, I'm a dog, and started barking, asking for treats, as long as it didn't disrupt the class, your kid would be treated as a dog. Okay? In a statement, the school said students were presenting with a range of issues from mental health, anxiety, or identity issues. The Herald Sun also reported there was a boy who identified as a dog. 
for a period of time and has been treated by a Melbourne psychologist. I'm surprised that they sent that kid to the psychologist, to be frank. I really am, because isn't that hateful and bigoted? If your kid says he's a dog, he's a dog, you have to accept it. I'm really surprised they took that route, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't know how old this kid was. If it was a three-year-old, it's just a three-year-old being three. If it was a 16-year-old saying, I'm a dog, you may have a problem on your hands. Maybe. Maybe a little counseling is in order. I don't know. I certainly wouldn't start giving big pharma drugs that make him more canine. I'm sure they exist. Just so you know, by the way, furries is, in fact, a subculture of people. Tyler, I don't know if you knew this who identify as animals, often dressing up in costumes as part of what they call their fursonas. <laughs> Don't mock Jed, you say. <laughs> Tyler is not weighing in. He's not weighing in. No, I'm just caught by this one comment. It says, uh, uh, when a girl went to sit at a spare desk, another girl screamed at her and said she was sitting on her tail. There's a slit in the child's uniform where the tail apparently is. <laughs> I mean, but didn't you see this coming when all the furry stuff started? Yes, I did. What, six years ago, eight years ago? Yes, I did. I saw it coming. And you see, you see, the slippery slope is getting slippery. And, And this is why I talk about this, right? Not to be funny, although some of it is funny. Yes, you know what? Everyone looking and acting like it's Halloween year round can be entertaining to some in the same part of the world. Me, Tyler, others. But if fa- this is why it's important, because if facts cease to matter, then where does it end, right? If you can no longer say this is a biological male, this is a biological woman, if you can no longer identify a man as a woman because that's somehow bigoted, where does it end? With the furries, Tyler has a picture on the <laughs> screen that he would like. Do you, can the audience see that photo now, Tyler, that you're pointing to? Yeah, the guys in the back will bring it up. Okay, guys in the back will bring up this image. Um, what does one say? What does one say? And you know, it, I have seen people in New York City who dress as animals, costumes, maybe not as, I have not seen one quite as interesting as this one. I'm not even sure what that's supposed to be. Is that supposed to be a cat? That's a furry. It looks like a... They have whole conventions. A cat fox mix to me. I'm not sure. Well, that's quite scary, actually. You know, if you were a kid and you went to a costume party and it was just too much, the cl- they used to say clowns were scary. That thing would send me running right out of there at five years old. I'm not going to lie. But I've seen people in the city um, dress in costumes and behave as such. We had, I used to live on 72nd Street and 1st Avenue. There was a health food store. And there were two people that were quite odd that would go in. One was a guy who thought he was a female but would go in naked, which meant the junk was out. It was exposed. And I would be in there like, there would be kids. I'd be like, this is ridiculous. Never got thrown out, naked. Public displays of nudity, never got thrown out, nothing. Sometimes would wear um, those little handkerchiefs that people wear around their head as a little winter, dead of winter, dead of winter over the package. And there was another group of people. I saw a couple who would dress in the furry outfits, cat, fox, hard to tell what they are really, and they would behave as cats. So I'm talking, walking on all fours, going down the aisle. I'm not, this is not an exaggeration, and the aisles in the health food store were quite small. So occasionally I would brush a shoulder with a furry. I mean, this is what happens when you live in places like New York City. It just is. And I remember talking to a friend who lived in um, West Texas at the time, and he was like, you're making it up. I had to take video, and I did one day, and he was like, wow. 
I'll never move there. <laughs> so you never know. All I'm saying is when facts and reality cease to exist, the slippery slope gets very slippery. I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years we all had to acknowledge, you know, people as cats and dogs and surgeries weren't being talked about. Big Pharma would be like, wow, if we made cat ears and whiskers there, oh, we could make a fortune. Maybe they'll introduce some drugs to make people more feline. Can I don't put it past any of them. I don't put it past any of them to get involved in this way. Let's do, uh, let's do some more foreshadowing real quick. Another line stood out to me. In January, a Michigan school district was forced to deny that litter boxes were provided to <laughs> students who identified as furries after a woman made the claim in a school board meeting last month. Uh, quote, let me be clear in this communication. There is no truth whatsoever to this false statement accusation. There have never been litter boxes in the school. Okay. So obviously something like. Something went down. Up, right. Right. So how long. Until this becomes reality. How long till your kid goes to school, goes into the bathroom, and there's a small child squatting in a litter box to do a poop? Six months? A year? I, I mean, honestly. What, and what, what's going to happen? <laughs> then if that child identifies as such and you call it out, are you not going to be labeled as a bigot? You're going to be, yep. You're gonna of be course. Let that child explore what they're feeling. I'm just really curious how the drugs are going to come into play there. I mean... I know, like, people take horse Valium sometimes, but it doesn't make them into a horse. It's not good to take horse Valium. Don't do that. Regardless, um, I don't know about you, but I don't want to drop my kid off at preschool and see a bunch of litter boxes for small children. Maybe I'm alone. Maybe not. School denies it, but something happened. Something, something happened. Something happened. Something happened. Let's get the cameras in there. Tyler, we'll send you. Get okay. some cameras. If you spot some litter boxes, I'm Man just going to lose street. it. I don't know. You know, sometimes I, don't, I, I really struggle to cover these stories because I don't want to be Jerry Seinfeld. Remember Jerry Seinfeld? He would always laugh at his own jokes. And I don't want to be covering this and just losing my mind. But how do you not lose your mind when you're talking about furries? Fursonas? Come on. All right. Let's talk about Joe Biden. Oh, man. I don't know if this is this may be just as funny about to lose it. So I see this. Remember, I talked to you a few days ago about Joe Biden, whether he's fit to be president, how my husband was like this dementia. You got to address this. He was beyond himself that day. So I see this video coincidentally pop up from RNC Research. Somebody had retweeted it. And it's a montage of Joe Biden. It's a minute and 40 seconds. I believe we should play it all. And I just want you to think about when you're watching this, if you believe this is someone who is fit to be the leader of the free world at the current time. Let's take a listen. The best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway. From, from, uh, uh, Char excuse me, from Charlotte, one another line going from in Florida down to Tampa of Putin's kleptocracy. <laughs> yeah. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him uh, foot, foot. the idea that um, Los Angeles and uh, and uh, um, uh, um, what am I doing here? For two reasons. One, Oof. to. We haven't been able to communicate <laughs> it in a way just... that is. Uh, um, let me say it another way. But the nature, not a solid meeting with, um, with uh, the. Uh, 
they make a very good point. Here's the deal. Here's what drives the driver in the states oh boy. that are affected. Here's what the, you can do, the drivers. We want to expand pre-K for three- and four-year-olds, millions of pre-K students. The, um... <laughs> wow. Okay. Listen, sometimes you can't help but laugh. Is it good to laugh? No. I did. I did. It's funny. I mean, the long pauses that it, it, it is at times you catch yourself laughing, but this is deeply, deeply. Dis- First of all, it's sad, right? We talk about this. Where is his family at this point? This is clearly someone who has something going on physically, mentally. I don't know if it's dementia, but it's something like that. Something is really wrong. You can see that he stops and is completely lost. Something is missing. Um, so, and not only is it, it's also dangerous, right? It's also dangerous. So we can say, oh, it's funny. We can say, oh, where are his loved ones? But you realize this guy's like at the top of the chain. This is the guy. This is the president. So you're not watching some video of some actor and you're like, wow, why doesn't somebody pull him off the camera? That's terrible. That would be bad enough. This guy is in charge. Or so they say. Well, so they say, right. So we could say, oh, there's a bunch of people underneath him. You know, he's got a bunch of advisors. Maybe he's not making any decisions at all. But regardless, he's the figurehead. He's the guy that other leaders around the world look at and say he's running the country. He's on the top, right? He's up there. Nobody has stepped in. Now, I don't like these. I don't like when people say usually, well, what if it was a Republican? But honestly, what if it was a What if it was Trump? What if it was Trump? Now, listen, people said, oh, Trump, he's crazy. He's this guy was sharp as attack. He was. He was sharp. Still is. I, I haven't seen much of him on media recently. But if, if nothing has changed, the guy was not doing that. He knew what he may not have liked what he said. You may not have liked it, what he said. Maybe you loved what he said. But the guy was sharp. The guy wasn't missing a beat. I hate to say it. And this is very, very sad and very disturbing. Where is the media on this? Where that's, are they? That's the thing is that I had this conversation with somebody in the office uh, that they it's a whole different reality. Mm-hmm. Like we were having the conversation and he said, so you're not you're saying he's not fit to be president because he fell off a bike and tripped going upstairs. And I said, what about everything else? And He goes, show me one thing. And it's things like this. And he goes, oh, I'd never seen that before. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he was doing that. I didn't know he was stuttering. Right. I didn't know he could, couldn't complete a sentence. Like it's 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 horrible. Yeah. And it, like this is going to be his legacy. He yeah. could have left after Obama and been golden. He could have been put up high on the pedestal and would have been the greatest vice president in history. Joe Biden. Everybody loved Joe Biden. He was great. And now this is his legacy. Yeah. And they're just taking it. And I, I bet you if they don't if they don't get him out with an illness, they're going to hit him with the 25th Amendment. Something's going to happen here. And I think the problem was they didn't have anybody else. Right. They didn't have it. How sad, though. How sad. That was the only guy. And because of covid. First of all, they didn't have anybody else that that they felt people would vote for. Kamala wasn't going to be it. Sorry. With COVID being the way that it was, he was able to shield himself. You know, the restrictions, the safety, the fear. So he was able to just disappear, right? Not do press conferences, not show up. Remember, he would show up for like three people and there were those circles on the floor you would stand in. He would just miss stuff and blame COVID. So it went on. Where, Where was he? I mean, he wasn't Trump was like doing rallies out and about, you know, it was it was a very 
it was a very different campaign. One was very front and center, involved. You saw him, you heard from him. And Biden was like, remember you say, well, Joe Biden's in his basement. It was, became a running joke because where was he? So he got away with it. And the problem is that now he's in there and he's seriously struggling. He doesn't take a lot of questions. Can't imagine why. His handlers are like, don't put him out there. Don't put him out there. And the reason the media doesn't cover this, yeah, they don't cover it, right? Because what would you say? How would you cover this montage any differently than to say there was something seriously wrong with him and he should not be in office? He's not fit to be president right now. What sane person would cover that differently? None. They couldn't do that. They couldn't show up on TV and do that. But they have to wait. They have to time this. And I told you, you're going to see a gradual turn here. But the second they have some plan, and by they, I mean the Democrat establishment, right? This stuff comes from the top. The second the Democrat establishment says, we have a plan, okay, I think they're going to try and let him run out, you know, his ter- rest of his term, and then they're going to have somebody that comes in next round that's not going to be him. The second that happens, you're going to see all of a sudden people are going to be saying things on the left that you didn't hear. Well, Joe Biden, you know, he really needs to take back. You've heard some of these videos. He doesn't set something might be going on. If they have to exit him before the end of the term, I think that gets sticky for them. I think it gets very, very sticky because then it's like, if, you, if you're willing to call it out, why haven't you been calling it out all this time? Like what you knew this was going on and weren't covering it. It becomes sticky for the media. It becomes a little sticky. But yeah, they don't want to talk about it. They would rather go under the assumption, and they probably have assurances from people in the Democrat establishment high up, don't worry. We're getting what we need to get done. Don't worry about Joe. He's out there. Yeah, he makes mistakes. Just ignore it. Don't cover it and let us do what we need to do in the background policy-wise because it's not about him anymore. That's probably the message that's getting filtered down. So media decides let's just not cover that Joe Biden's falling apart. Let's not expose that he's not running the show. And let's just be happy that he's in there and he is a conduit for far-left progressive policies every single time he can be. That's what I think is going on. But, you know, it's sad. I don't understand. I mean, he has a family I just I really don't understand at some point how you let him go out. As Tyler mentioned, this stuff's on video, right? This stuff's on video. I think his legacy before this was that, well, it was split. It was that he was a moderate and he got along with everybody. He could have just walked off and been celebrated like that. The moderate, moderate Joe. He had Republican friends. He had Democrat friends. And also Republicans felt like he was just kind of like useless, like he had been in there forever, Right. People go to D.C. and they're in Congress. They're in the Senate forever. And they really just like do nothing. He was kind of that guy. Like, what could you really attribute to Joe? Mm, Nothing really. Right. So and he was harmless. He had been on record having moderate, you know, takes on issues. So he could have exited the scene and just been kind of like kind of forgettable, honestly, but not problematic. And now he looks like a guy who got dementia in office or some type of terrible situation and had to be exposed on TV repeatedly as someone who was holding the highest office in the land and had no idea where he was 90% of the time. Not a good look. Not good. So, all right. I want to talk a little bit about what's gone on, the contrast between what's going on in Democrat cities and what's going on in Republican cities right now. I saw this from the New York Post, and we have two articles that are going to go together on this. Um, One is from the New York Post that showed footage showing a flash mob of looters ransacking a 7-Eleven in Los Angeles. Let's play some of this video for people. It's a street takeover. Turn it down a little bit. Yeah. So what you're seeing here are robberies that um, 
happened during a street takeover, it says, when drivers flooded and blocked a city intersection with their vehicles to create a pit in the middle of it. And then you also see they ransack the 7-Eleven. They go in. They actually wind up making off with a handful of cigarettes, with handfuls of cigarettes, snacks, and other goods. Look at this. Just look at this. They just walk in. Look at look at the destruction. How disgraceful. This is Los Angeles, people. Can't imagine why people left Los Angeles to come to Florida. Look at this. So I have two comments on this, and you can play this a little bit more if you want, Tyler, while I'm talking. First of all, my initial reaction is, who raises these people? Who raises these people? You know how I always talk and I uh, go back to what happens at the dinner table and what happens at the home? This is why. I guarantee you, if you did studies on the people who permit, com, you know, per, uh, commit crimes like this, you're going to find problems at home. You're going to find absentee dads. You're going to find something going on in a large percentage of cases here. Because when you have accountability to parents, and by the way, accountability to faith in many respects. No one talks about the role of faith in this stuff. But when you have accountability to something bigger than yourself, you don't behave this way. There is a lot that goes into the way people are or aren't raised. Look at this. I mean, this is just disgusting. Well, and that was Larry Elder's take on this, is that uh, this is 2017. Recent estimates show that about 40% of births in the United States occur outside of marriage, meaning potentially there's not a father mm-hmm. in the house, right? right? It's a single parent. And this is what you get. It's a leading cause of destruction in community when you don't have, particularly a dad. You see so many fatherless homes. When you don't have that infrastructure in a home, when kids feel lost, confused, lonely, um, you then it bleeds out into their education. They get into trouble. You, you see it manifest like this. Now, what's also interesting about Los Angeles is this is in the New York Post article, which I love that they highlighted. The incident comes as L.A. County District Attorney George Gascon and his office have come under fire. You don't say for prosecutorial laxity that some blame for a spike in the city's crime. He has been criticized for announcing plans to soften the state's three strikes law, which mandates harsher penalties for repeat offenders. So what you have is what you have going on in New York City. You have these very, very liberal district attorneys, and they make it so that criminals get away with murder, sometimes actually. They get away with severe crimes. They get away with small crimes. They get away with repeat crimes, and they don't have proper accountability. So what's the lesson there to someone who seeks to inflict harm? (laughs) Let's go to L.A. and do it. They're not going to behave like that in a place where they know that there are harsher penalties for their behavior. But these these cities, these places, we're going to cover a couple more of them right now, are becoming enclaves for crime. And that is why you saw so many people leave Los Angeles and head to places, you know, if they wanted a city, they were like, I'm going to Miami. Uh, if they were, they were going anywhere else but there because you cannot raise children in an environment like that. If you have a family, you also don't want to have your business. What if your business is a few blocks from that business. You know what I'm saying? It gets very scary and it gets very dangerous. If you're living in any area where criminals are getting a message that there are no consequences or very small consequences, if any, for their actions, forget it. It's over. Going along with that, I know Tyler's Googling something, but going along with that in the Daily Mail, um, they talked about something called the death of downtown. San Francisco, Cleveland, and Portland were pulled in particular as seeing an activity drop by almost 50% as soaring crime in the Democrat-run cities forces workers, tourists, and homeowners away. People, it's like abandoned. You know when you went to those abandoned towns? That's what it's turning into. Let's take a look at this. In a recent study by the Institute of Governmental Studies, this is at UC Berkeley, San Francisco's downtown area was found to be only 31% active over the spring of 2022, 
when compared to pre-pandemic levels. According to the latest FBI Unified Crime Report, San Francisco had the highest overall crime rate of the 20 largest cities in the United States, recording 6,917 crimes per 100,000 population. Can you imagine? Look at these. Look at this. Shooting up on the street. Disgusting. How are you going to walk past this stuff with your, with your kid in a stroller? You're not. This looks like Occupy Wall Street, these images that used to be in uh, downtown Manhattan, only it's like a perpetual state of being in San Francisco. Maybe it's Nancy Pelosi's district. San Francisco Mayor London Breed, by the way, demanded cities, remember this, demanded cities defund the police last year. Oh, that worked out well, London, announcing that the Golden Gate City would be one of the first to do so and promising to slice $120 million from the budgets of its police and sheriff's department. So let's just connect the dots on policy here. You've got these liberal woke DAs that send a message to criminals that they're not going to be consequences for their actions. You've got defund the police movements heavy in these areas where people know that there are less police on the streets. So if they commit a crime, they're more than likely to not be faced by someone else with a gun to stop them because the only people that have guns in these places are the police. Don't get me started on gun control. The city of San Francisco, by the way, according to this article, fascinating, also greenlit its first open-air drug market. How nice. In San Francisco's Civic Center, which spurred vagrants and homeless encampments across the city to use illegal substances out in broad daylight. How nice. So now you're walking around there with your family or you have a business and that's what's going on on your front door. By the way, that is happening in New York City as well. Um, I got a call a few days ago about that. A friend of mine was like, you cannot believe the amount of just drugs, hardcore drugs being done in broad daylight in Manhattan right now. I'm going to New York next week. I'm going to be there for 12 hours. It was the shortest amount of time I could manage to be there. Um, Let's just say I don't miss the city. And I'm going to take a look around. I'm going to wander around a little bit and see what's going on. If I see anything, I'm going to report on it. I'm going to let you know. By the way, people in San Francisco, um, just so you know, if you're living there and you're like, living on cloud nine and you're like no 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 it's not so bad hmm crime remains stubbornly high in the golden gate city with overall crime up 7.4 percent as of august 14th assaults are up nearly 12 percent robberies are up 2.4 percent thefts have spiked by 17.5 percent and rapes have increased by 9.5 percent well if that's not an invitation to move san francisco i don't know what is tyler so a couple things the the open air drug uh, market really bugs me because i am for one i think that the government should get out of the business of drugs I think that we should do something akin to what uh, Amsterdam is doing, or I believe it's um, not Panama. I'll think of the other one in a second. But I, I, again, th- you look at cities that, that are not pro-drug, but they don't prosecute for drug offenses. Mm-hmm. They clean up the addiction rates. They clean up the crime rates. They clean up mm-hmm. the transmissible disease rates. But they don't allow stuff like this at all. Like if you yeah. use in the street, you're going to get thrown in jail. It's absurd. So we're As you should. We're completely backwards on this. But what really gets me is that this is six days ago, right? George Gascon, uh, L.A. County District Attorney, was in a recall vote, a recall attempt, right? Mm-hmm. The petition to get him out garnered 715,000 signatures, and they vetoed 200,000 of them. They can't veto a single election for the Gavin Newsom recall, for the presidential election, for any other citywide election that mm-hmm. goes on. But God forbid you want to recall George Gascon, and they're vetoing 200,000 signatures. Wow. And they were 45,000 shorts claiming they were duplicates. Yeah, that's not a small number. That's not a small number. Wow. Well, it's, it's, it's obvious. I mean, they are fundamentally disrupting democracy. Like, it's, democracy has failed in California. Yeah. Right? And yeah. you look at, you know, everybody thought Larry uh, Elder was going to win the recall in California. And, and it's, you know, Gavin Newsom has um, now put, put into law 
mail-in voting. So mm-hmm. you can mail-in vote for every election all <laughs> right. the time. And it's how just, convenient. It's absurd. Like, I don't expect how these people plan on beating this or mm-hmm. winning. Well, then, then that, and the question becomes then what do people who live there, what do you do? Because there's a combination of, you know, I used to say, well, people there, they just vote the same stuff in. Not oftentimes now, no, they're actually voting differently, but they feel powerless in their vote. They feel that there's too much corruption in the system. So my advice to you is to leave. I'm going to tell you, and it's not easy. You know, I know people have family, they have roots in those places, and oftentimes people feel like, no, I want to be the one to stick it out here, and I want to make it better. That was a sentiment that went on in New York for a long time. You're not going to. There's too much corruption in the system. The only the only message that will get sent, and I'm not even sure that will at this point, is if you take your money and you take your dollars and you go and you go somewhere else. Now, of course, you're very unlikely to go back at that point because you'll go to somewhere like Florida, you'll go to somewhere like Texas, and you're going to be like, why would I ever go back there with the crime rates, the mass amount of corruption, and the taxes, right? Because once you escape that tax hole, you're not going back. You're going to realize you have more money in your in your pocket every time you do a day's work, and you're going to be like, hmm, what have I been doing wrong for the last 20 years in, in cities like that? But I, my advice is to leave because there's an enormous amount of corruption by people who want to maintain their power because they know they know that people are starting to change their minds. And even people who are liberal-minded in these cities, it's gone too far. It's gone too far with some of the woke stuff. If they have kids in school, it's gone too far with the crime, the defund the police movement. It's a lot of people on the left who rallied for defund the police initially because they thought that, that oh, that's going to be a good thing. You're going to weed out bad police officers when actually it just meant less public safety for people. And now you have increasing bleeding out areas of crime that affects their business, their family, their, you know, one safe neighborhood. So I, I will tell you again, leave, leave. You've got to get out. It's the only chance if people get up and leave and say, we will not tolerate this. And even then, I don't know. I don't know how long that would take because there's a determination to dig in on policies that are bad as opposed to reverse course and actually save some of these cities by these people in power because they'll lose power and they'll never get it back. They'll never get it back. And it, I think the last time I saw something like 150,000 families. So think about that. I mean, that's even don't even count the family. Say 150,000 people mm-hmm. account for all of California's taxes. All the revenue that right. California brings in is 150,000 right. people. How, and how, how many people must live there? I mean, it must be. Right, yeah. right, right. Yep. Millions and millions. And <laughs> I mean, how long until those people leave and they've got no money coming in? That's right. What are they like the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world? Yeah. I, well, they're in the top 10. That's why they're covering this as like. You know, they were saying like empty, they're, they're, they're empty and out. I mean, like they're saying the death of downtown is the way this article is titled because you, you walk around and you see nothing but emptiness and crime. It's like all the, the, the worst actors remained and the people who were putting a check on that bad stuff got up and left. So I don't know where this ends. What I will tell you is that there's a big contrast that's happening. Um, If you can pull this up, Tyler, from RNC Research, it says 12 of the top 15 states for jobs recovered from the pandemic are led by Republican governors. So you see the parallel. You see these sinking Democrat cities, right? People are broke. You know, they shut down all these businesses. Some have not come out of the darkness. You see crime infestation. You see criminals like running wild. And then you see all of these red states that are leading the way in job recovery. I should have done a a look at safety and security as well, but let's look at those states, Utah, Idaho, Texas, Florida, Montana, Arizona, Georgia, Tennessee, Arkansas, South Dakota, South Carolina, and Indiana. I was very happy when I saw this list because, you know, I don't know where I'm going to wind up long term. Everybody has their like vision board, but I saw Texas on this list. Very happy to see that. Not surprised. I saw my husband loves Montana. He just says, you know what? 
people are going to leave Montana alone. Nobody's going to bug them. By that, he means, you know, big government authoritarians. <laughs> Not wrong about that, Jeremy. And I saw Tennessee on that list. Of course, Florida, where I am right now, is on that list. So listen, um, we, we know why this is, right? We know that the red states didn't implement during the pandemic a lot of those shutdown policies. They let those businesses take those decisions onto themselves. We know that the red states didn't try hard in many of these states to combat vaccine mandates, which allowed people to be employed and stay employed who didn't want to get the experimental vaccine. We know that a lot of the red states battled the masking and all of that nonsense. Um, we know that red states tend to be very friendly to both you know, law enforcement uh, having a presence and not doing, you know, defund the police movements. And they're also very friendly to Second Amendment rights. So you have citizens that walk around in these places, law abiding citizens that are a check on criminals. And that happens every single day. And criminals know to avoid spaces where those individuals reside. So you have a choice, right? And this is the beautiful thing about this great country of ours. You have a choice of where you want to live. You have a choice of where you want to raise your family. You have a choice of where you want to start your business. And it's very, very difficult sometimes. I know it was for me to pick up and leave that place that you call home. But you have to look at the stats. You have to look at what's happening. And you have to look at the fact that this pandemic was step one. I've said that before. You can quote me on it when it happens next. It's, there's going to be a step two of that. I don't know what it's going to look like. Ask Bill Gates. There's going to be a step two. There's going to be a step three. There's going to be a step four. There's going to be more authoritarianism that's shoved in your face. And the states where individuals and people in leadership positions are going to rally against that are going to be red. They're going to be red. Um, you may be looking at crime in your area and seriously looking at getting a license for a gun. You may be, that may be something that you prioritize. You may be wanting uh, people around you to be law-abiding citizens who are armed. You may be changing your perspective on a lot of that, seeing what's going on in these crime-ridden liberal sewers. That's the only way to say it. So the information is there for the taking. You have to make a decision. And remember, somebody said to me the other day uh, on Twitter, oh, I would love to go to New York right now for a trip, but I just can't. I can't support it. And I, my response was, don't. Because you are going to then take your dollars, your tourism dollars, essentially, and you are going to feed that beast, right? You're going to feed that beast. <laughs> you're going to inject that. You're going to go out to eat. You're going to do whatever you have to do. You're gonna, you are going to inject money, and they take your money, and they double down on these policies. So just don't spend your money there. Go somewhere else and spend your money. I'm going to New York for 12 hours, but I'm going to private individual. I'm not, I'm not, I don't even eat out when I go there. I'm like, I don't even want to give these restaurants that I'm, I will not go into these restaurants that enforced a vaccine mandate and give them my money. I refuse. I swear. I have a friend. I was like, can you cook me something? I'm not lying. I live this stuff through and through. I will not incentivize this absolute madness and discrimination in these cities. Okay. So now that we covered all of that, I want to get to Andrew Tate. Um, this is obviously controversial. Andrew is controversial by nature of his commentary. And I want to go through some of this with you. And the way I want to do it is first, there was an article from NPR, I'm just going to go to one article, and then I'm just going to have a discussion with you about it. Andrew Tate gets banned from Facebook, Instagram, TikTok for violating their policies. I don't know if you heard this. Um, and if you don't know who Andrew Tate is, I'm sure you do. But if you don't, we'll dig into a little bit of that as well. So he's been banned on all social media as of this past week. Let's read just a little bit of that. Tate, 35. I didn't know how old he was until I read this um, over the weekend. 
He had garnered 4.7 million followers on Instagram before um, Meta, which is the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, took down his official account. This is the statement from TikTok. Um, and I quote, misogyny is a hateful ideology that is not tolerated on TikTok. A spokeswoman, spokesperson told NPR, our investigation into this content is ongoing as we continue to remove uh, violative accounts and videos and pursue measures to strengthen our enforcement, including our detection models against this type of content. So it seems to me, based on this statement, that they decided that he was a misogynist um, and they decided that was hateful. And as a result, it violated their terms. So I'm just curious if every single person who is a misogynist, who they deem as a misogynist, first of all, I want to know what their definition of misogyny is, right? I'm not saying Andrew Tate is or isn't. I take some issue with things that he said. I'm not, this is not an endorsement of Andrew Tate, but I want to know what their definition of misogyny is. I also want to know if that has been equally applied to everyone that has misogynist content up. I also want to know, are they now going to um, ban everyone who has cross-posted Andrew Tate's commentary because the bulk of Andrew Tate's content does not come from his accounts. The bulk of his content that circulates on the internet comes from fans or supporters who then publish, uh, cross-publishes his videos. They chop them up, they put them up there. So are they now going to take down every single person who has posted content from Andrew Tate? That's a lot of people. Those people may not be misogynists, right? Maybe they're just putting a whole bunch of content out there. Maybe some aren't even opining. Maybe some are disagreeing and putting his content out there. So I'd be curious to see how that plays out. I'm going to get into Andrew Tate in a second for people who don't know, because he is controversial, right? He is controversial, no question. But I ask you this question. If he's, say he's, let's say he's a misogynist. Let's just assume that for a second. And he has an account on TikTok. So what? So what? You don't like what he says? Okay. Make content debating, taking down his arguments. Why, why can't a misogynist be on TikTok? Why? Why? He has different opinions. Maybe you don't like them. Fine. Maybe you disagree with them. Fine. Why can't that person be on TikTok? Okay. Just think about that as I go through this. So why is Andrew Tate controversial? So I, I really, you know, I've, I've taken issue, you know, on this show, I, I've um, went head to head with some of his commentary. I agree with some of what he said on certain things. I've strongly disagreed with some of what he said. And I think the best way to take on what I don't like from him is to produce my own content that says, this is why you're wrong. This is why your message is bad for guys. This is why your message is bad in this instance for women. This is why there's a better way, right? That's my approach. My approach is never take it down, take his stuff down. That is um, the way weak, insecure people respond to content they don't like. They say ban it, right? You're, you're familiar with this. Even if you're, let's say you don't like Andrew Tate, right? And on this issue, you're like, take his content down. Well, just remember that just a few months ago, people were taken down for misinformation. Maybe you were on the side of actual information that was falsely labeled misinformation. So just remember that this stuff can get very subjective and oftentimes is targeted at people who are having influence in some way that people at the top don't like. Let's just talk about Andrew Tate. So what was what was so controversial? Well, he is very controversial, quite a bit. He's discussed uh, in some videos, I've seen him discuss hitting women. Uh, in some videos, I've seen him actually hit women. Um, he In one video I saw, he had what looked like uh, a whip where he whipped someone. Um, she looked, it, it, it looked, 
you know, she was talking about how, he, you know, I didn't obey him and that's why I've been hurt. Now, he claims that that individual was, you know, in on it, um, that it was consensual and that that's a friend of his. He has not been charged with a crime. Let's say that. He has not been charged with a crime, but he does have videos like that out there. They exist out in the space. He has said things like he should have authority over women, and that's his belief. He's talked about how female self-defense is bullshit. We addressed that one on here. I told him why he, I believe he's 100% wrong. Um, in 20, he was on the 17th season of Big Brother. I don't know if you remember that. In UK in 2016, and there were videos that surfaced of him those videos hitting a woman at the time. Like I said, he said he claims it was consensual. Uh, regardless, he was removed from the show at that point as a result. In 2017, he was actually suspended from Twitter before all of these current social media bans came into play. He was suspended in 2017 on Twitter because he talked about rape victims. And he said rape victims must uh, bear some responsibility for putting themselves in a position to be raped it was it was I'm not quoting him directly throughout you can go find that content and look for yourself but it, he alluded to the fact that there was some responsibility that people who had suffered from sexual assault may have now keep in mind a lot of this content that you see online is edited right so you go up you pull up a video someone may have posted you know one minute of what he said when in reality there's two minutes so try to find the full picture if you can just in making an assessment of him, of anywhere, of anyone else. I think it's, it's we live in a world of sound bites, and it's not always giving people the full picture of what's gone on. Regardless, he was suspended um, at that point off of Twitter. This past April, his home in Romania was raided as part of a human trafficking investigation. And there were claims made that a woman was being held there against her will. They had been looking into crimes of human trafficking and rape. He was not charged. He was not arrested, as far as I can see, on those charges. I don't know what they came up with. I don't know what they found on him. But to me, it looks like not enough to make an arrest or, or a charge there. Um, again, the majority of the content you see from him is not from him. It's stuff that other people have posted. It's stuff that other people have clipped um, and put out there. So let's talk a little bit about how I feel about all this now. First of all, is he controversial? Yes. Do I agree with a lot of what he said? No. Do I agree with some of it? Sure. He makes a point here and there that I'm like, I agree with that. Sometimes usually he'll be talking. What happens with me on some of the clips I see with him, he'll be talking for a minute. He starts off and maybe like the first 10 seconds, I'm like, hmm. And then I'm like, oh, nope. It goes into a place I don't like. And then my reaction to that has never been let's ban him. I will remind you that the instinct to ban anyone, again, is a sign of weakness and insecurity. The instinct to debate someone is a sign of strength and confidence about how you feel and where you stand on that discussion. Again, he has not been charged of anything as of right now, and he has not been arrested. Does this conversation change if he becomes a convicted criminal that's a different conversation we need to have at that point what was he convicted of what did he do let's talk about it as of right now this is a guy who is being removed from these sites because of words that people don't like again he had those videos that circulated about um where he was physically hitting those women that was a while ago he wasn't banned at that point that was already out there. So why is he being banned now? If those are the videos that were the problem, right, that he claims was consensual, that he claims that girl and him were friends, if those, I don't even know, sometimes I wonder what's what's an act with him, 
or what's real versus what's like he's putting on a show for people. But if, if that was the concern, then why didn't you ban him off of all the social in 2016? Well, I'll tell you why, because he wasn't influential enough to warrant concern. People are now saying this guy's words have caught fire. He's extremely popular. He's being clipped everywhere. There's a segment of the male population that's being drawn to him now. Let's go in now. They just I don't think they deemed him influential enough to make that across the board ban at that point in 2016 when that initial video surfaced again you're a misogynist say let's assume he's a misogynist okay great come talk to me come talk to me like I'm happy to sit here and have a conversation with you I don't condone misogyny I don't think it's good for society I don't think it's good for relationships let's talk about why you've been called a misogynist let's talk about Let's talk about it. I don't have a problem with a misogynist having content online. Do it. It gives me more opportunity to invite you to come and debate that conversation with me who has a pretty good reason of why I think misogyny hurts men, hurts society at large, hurts the social structures, and hurts women. So let's have it out, right? Why is it so problematic for them, for him to just have this opinion out there? They believe it's dangerous to women. Okay, then why aren't you inspiring people to create content pointing out why? So if you're at home and you have a problem with Andrew Tate, okay. Okay, I've had issues with some of the stuff he said. You have access to a social media account. Anyone can create a channel, right? You can create a YouTube channel. You can go on IG Live. You can have a social media account. Why don't you tell people why you think he's a problem? Why don't you, your parent out there, and you think this is the wrong message for boys, and you've got a son, and you're, why don't you tell people why you feel this isn't the way to go for men? That's how you counter, because this isn't about Tate, right? That's what people need to understand. Banning Andrew Tate does nothing. It'll do two things, actually. It will drive people a more extremist position into the underground where it will gather and it will gain intensity and it will gain heat and it will manifest I don't know how. But the reality is, whether you like it or not, there is a segment of the male population that has been drawn to what he's saying, okay? They still exist. You can ban him, right? He's just a guy. He's just a guy. It's not about him. He connected with people in the population for some reason, is it not worth it to you if you're so concerned about that message to figure out why? Why is this message appealing? Is there a segment of the male population that has been frustrated in some way by society, by feminism, by, by what? What is it? Let's talk about it. Let's have that conversation, right? And maybe there's a segment of the male population that wants to engage in really bad behavior toward women, and, and he appeals to them in that respect. Well, better to have them out in sunlight, and let's debate them. Let's expose that. Let's talk about it. Let's not drive them into the underground where they rally around being banned. Every single person that is banned comes out stronger. Look at Trump. They took him off Twitter. Did that stop him? No. He's more powerful than ever. Every time the, the FBI raid on Mars, does that stop? No, no. You have a problem with somebody, you have that conversation head on. You invite them. I'm not saying Tate would go to everybody's show, but you can certainly pull, look what I did. I pulled his commentary and I said, this is why this is wrong. 
here he may have a point, but here's here's why this is wrong. I invited Rolo on the show. Who's going to come back? We had that conversation. So just remember, this is not about Andrew Tate. You think you're going to ban Andrew Tate and this is going to stop? No. Like I said, you're going to have to ban everybody who disseminates his content if you want to do that. What are you just going to go on a list and ban a whole bunch of just people who have no name recognition and are just, why? Why not instead assess that something is wrong, right? You, you decide you don't like his commentary and that it's dangerous. Okay, that's step one. Instead of banning it, take it head on. You're confident in why you think it's wrong? You're confident that you have a better solution? You're confident that you have a message for men that's more uplifting? Speak it. Speak it. Let that thrive over what he's saying. That is your weapon. Your weapon is not the ban. Okay? I'm going to tell you every, every single time. So I saw this and I, you know, and, and immediately people said, oh, it's funny. I got messages that said, oh, you hate what he says. You know, you've brought it to, to you take an issue with him on the show and I'm sure you're happy to see him banned. No, no. And you know why? Because who's next? Who is next? I, every single time this happens to somebody, you have to know that you could be next. You have to know that this slippery slope of what is hateful and what, what is problematic and what is misinformation is decided by who, what is their political ideology, is there an agenda, and what is next. So I don't like bans. I don't like bans. I don't like bans for people I disagree with. I prefer an invitation to talk to me about why we see things differently and why I have a better way. So, Tyler, what did you think about it? I'll ask you. What did you think about the ban? No, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, Vic says, we the people are not in the banning business, and I don't think you could have summed it up any better. Uh, you know, another good one was uh, Alex Jones. that has been pointed out a few times mm-hmm. in the chat. They banned Alex Jones, and look how much popular he got, right? That's right. More Trump, popular, Jones. Right? Mm-hmm. It's every time. Right. Every single time it will happen. Where I, do you think this ends, though? Because for for Tate, I mean, I are they are they going to now ban everybody who's a follower of Tate? I mean, are they going to ban everyone who speaks positively and, and includes a video? Is it is it that aggressive, or was it just just about taking out the top dog? I think it was just about taking out the top. I, I would be interested to see what he posted that got him banned. Um, I don't know what he would have posted that got a banned. I do think it's ironic that TikTok is banning people. We all know what, what TikTok is, mm-hmm. um, as far as the ccp goes um mm-hmm. but i th- i th- really do think it was just proving that they have more power than any force in the world right now tiktok meta facebook ig all, all right. that it was very much just about taking out the most popular person on the internet because that's what he is mm-hmm. like it's one thing to take out trump right trump is it's it's another whole different realm to take out the most viral person on the internet they just wiped mm-hmm. him clean he's done um i'm sure he'll be banned from youtube Oh, for sure. Uh, right. And then he's got, so I believe what he does is he has people that post all his content for him. So you've got Andrew Tate and then thousands of channels that post right. Tate content. So, it also so then what happens out. to those channels? Exactly. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But again, it, I mean, I don't disagree at all. Like, like the guy, dislike the guy. I, I personally don't like him. I don't like what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't, you don't ban somebody. You just you, yeah. you let him speak. And it's, it's uh, the, the market of ideas. Be, beat them with your ideas. Have a discussion. Like it's it's fairly simple and commonsensical to most people. We we did it here. It was so right. easy. We I, I pulled up clips. I tried to find context around those clips, and I I offered a better way. 
what I thought was a better way as someone who has a son and does not in any way want my child following the advice of Andrew Tate. One of the things that was really controversial about him um, was the video that was up about why he moved to Romania. Uh, I don't know if you heard about that, but apparently he had said, they said, I watched the video, they said that their their depiction was that he said 40% of the reason that he moved to Romania was because, you know, he could get away with sexual assault more easily there. And I listened to the video and that's, it's not quite what he said. I, I take issue with some of what he said in that video, but what he was saying was he didn't like the way the police in the West handle the issue of rape, that it was a kind of guilty until proven innocent type of mentality. Um, they instead... Take issue with that if you want. I mean, there's like I said, I, I have plenty of issues with what this man has put out on the Internet in terms of do I believe that he's creating a positive space for men? I don't. Do I believe that his advice in large part when it comes to male-female relations is good? No, I don't. Do I think it's good for men? No. Do I think it's good for women? No. Do I think it's good if you have an intention of building a respectful relationship with someone? No, I don't. But I still don't want him banned because that sets a horrible precedent. So I would just I would just invite everybody when you when something like this happens, what you have to do is remove how you feel about that person. You really do. And I mean this, you know, like I said, he's not been charged with a crime right now. He's not a criminal. He's not been arrested. That becomes a very different conversation, by the way, if he was Um and if that ever happens, we will have that conversation. But as of right now, what I see is them targeting his words um, with the exception of the actions in that one video. Now, did, when I looked at the actions in that one video and the violence toward women, did it turn my stomach? Yes. Now, if that is an acted out video and he and that woman are having some type of consensual, oh, let's make money off this video. I mean, I, I don't know how you evaluate this stuff in this world that we live in. Was it offensive to me? Yes. Did I think it was good for women to, to see that and men to see that and people without proper context to see that? No, I don't. But again, he wasn't banned at that point. He's banned now. So I have to believe that this is about influence and they're just trying to make it harder for his message to get out there. It won't. It won't work. It won't work because every single supporter of Tate now is going to feel energized by the ban of him and they're going to get louder and they're going to post more and they're going to they're going to dare big tech to ban them as well. And he's going to get new followers now who come into the fold because he's been banned. Just because he's been banned, right? You will have people now like me that come to the table and say I don't agree with what he's saying 99% of the time, but don't ban him. Don't ban him. Um so it's unhelpful to their cause. So those are my thoughts on Tate. Um, again, I invite you every time this happens, you know, this happened with the misinformation. Every single time you deal with a ban, you have to find a way to just remove how you feel about the person or flip it and say, how would I feel if somebody was putting very controversial stuff out there that I agreed with and somebody else wanted to ban it? Right. I mean, some could I've seen some videos on there, you know, from the feminist community. I've seen some man hating stuff. I've seen. Where is the line on hate? It's a fair question. Where is the line on hate? Where is the line on what is deemed dangerous? 
where is the line on what somebody will pick up a young person and hear and then motivate them to act a certain way? Can you really blame the video? Can you blame like it, it, it's too it's too gray for me in many respects. Um, and I, I don't think it helps that big tech has a reputation of going after people they don't like and ignoring people they do like. Right. The people that they like. Remember with Trump on Twitter, Trump got taken off and you saw like these crazy accounts from like what was some of the accounts Tyler do you remember that were allowed to stay up I remember like there was stuff from Occupy Democrats there was stuff on there that was outright calling for violence that had stood on some accounts outright calling for violence and you had Trump being banned so it it looks ideological too so again some of this about Andrew's politics he's been on with Alex Jones I don't know I don't know Um, but what I do know is that Finding someone offensive or finding their message gross or finding their message problematic is not an excuse to ban. So that's my commentary on that. And I know it'll be controversial to some. It'll never be enough, right? (laughs) To some will be like, oh, she said she doesn't agree with Tate. I hate her. And others will be like, oh, she said we shouldn't ban him completely. I hate her. So that's why I'm just telling you the nuance. This is just it's too nuanced. Don't make it black and white. And I guarantee you that some way, somehow, his name will get bigger and bolder and louder as a result of this ban. Um, not smaller. Uh, maybe he'll create his own enterprise. I, I don't know what he's going to do next, but he he probably has awakened um, a lot of s- something big in some of his fans out there who now feel like not only is he silenced, but like they're a target. Um, so again, and, and ladies out there, I know I get messages from women that, that will say sometimes like, you have to go after this guy, you know, you have to stand up for, for women. And again, the way that I'm standing up against messaging like his is by having a, by allowing him to have a voice and allowing my voice to hopefully be brighter (laughs) and make more sense to people and provide a better way. It doesn't do me any good to ban him. It doesn't do me any good. And I don't want to. Why? So then if he doesn't like my commentary, he can go call for me to be banned? All right, Tyler. Kathy brought up a really excellent point here. The the First They Came poem, the 1946 post-war German poem uh, by the Lutheran pastor. First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Well, and that's just it, right? Again, you don't have to condone it, right? In fact, you can very strongly speak against it. So me saying Andrew Tate shouldn't be banned is is not me condoning what he said or what he's done. Hell no. No, it's not. I'm not putting my stamp of approval on that. Yeah, maybe there's something over here I agree with or something over here. You're not going to disagree with anyone 100% of the time. That's ridiculous. People who say that are just, they're not listening. There's always something in there that you could say, well, that point made sense. So that will exist with anyone, including Andrew Tate. But I don't need to be a supporter of his to say he shouldn't be banned. He should be able right now today with the information I have today and what we know, he has not been charged. He has not. He's not a known criminal. They are banning words that they don't like from him as far as I can understand it and as far as I can see from the TikTok statement. That is a dangerous slippery slope. Let him have his say. Let others who disagree have their say. And let the people who want a better path 
for their children and the next generation and relationships, let them speak out against what he's saying. Don't ban. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us today. Remember, this Wednesday, I can barely contain my assignment. I'm serious. This Wednesday, we have Father Lambert. We're going to talk all things exorcism. I'm telling you, man, we are going to, I'm going to get into, does it look like the movie? Have you seen people levitate? What, is there foam involved? How do you tell the difference between a mentally ill person and a possessed person? How do you even get approval? Is it still like you have to go all the way up to Rome to get that stuff? Are you not scared? I know you've got the presence of the Holy Spirit and all that stuff. I'm Catholic. But like still, is there a little bit of fear? Does the demon sense fear? Is that true? Do you have to actually go in there and be completely fearless? Remember in The Exorcist, he goes in with that other guy. That other guy gets scared. It ruins the whole thing. Do you see anything manifest from the devil? Or like, is there anything visual that happens? How do you know when it's out? Oh, man, I can't wait. I really can't. I'm going to be up for the next two nights just thinking about this. So don't miss that show on Wednesday. And please send your requests in. We're we're booking a bunch of guests. So if you want to hear from someone, please let me know. Thank you for being here today. I hope you enjoyed the show. And I'll see you again on Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time.